1: Coming up on today's episode, we look back at Timu and Tempo night in Winnipeg, including the win over Anaheim, plus what's next for a banged-up forward group, and Hainala joins the big club.
0: Hello, everybody. Hello. Recording live from somewhere.
1: What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host Brandon Rowicki You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Follow us on Twitter. We might have to change that intro, Tice. I uh, don't know how much longer that's going to be applicable for. We might have to... Who knows? Skates and plates, skates, plates, slash only fans. You can check us out there if you want. We have to figure something out. Oh my gosh. I just wanted to see what your reaction would be there. Yeah, that, that was perfect. That was exactly what I was going for. I don't think our family listens to
0: this, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, i mean i've already got one going so might as well start another <laughs> yeah oh god yeah <laughs> either way
1: only fans twitter no twitter whatever it is you can find us here wherever you listen to your podcast. we're still dropping jets takes over here and happy to have you guys joining us once again might be for the last time but happy to have you guys joining us once again especially after the big night timu teppo in winnipeg and in, in fitting fashion we had ourselves a hell of a finish as the Jets oh. took down the Ducks late in regulation. You like that one? Late in regulation there. Plenty to get to in the game. The Colonel is back. Guys are in, guys are out. Everybody's injured up front. Lots to get to, but once again, CJOB's Tyson Rowicki joining us on the pod for the episode. Tyson, you were actually live at the game. Shirt and tie, getting a little work done. What was the
0: atmosphere like? It was good. It was really good. I mean that that pregame ceremony. I mean, you're honoring two of the best Jets of all time, and Teppo and Timu. Not a, not just the best on the ice, but two of the most beloved beloved Winnipeg Jets of the of their two franchise histories. I mean, it was just awesome to see those two guys out there. See all the love the fans were giving. I almost really kind of wish that there was uh, almost a way that Timu and Teppo could have. Just spoke a quick couple words to the fans just to let, show their appreciation. Let the fans kinda build off that. But it was it was a really nice ceremony. A couple former Jets were there. Then Tepo and Timo, you could just see how happy they were and how how excited they were to be back in Winnipeg and to feel the love from all the from all these Jets fans.
1: Uh is beauty and finish, by the way. And that was a couple of Kaunuses at Canada Life Center on Thursday night. Yeah, I mean it was great. I mean everybody look, look this city there's there's a special bond between temu Solani and and the people here in Winnipeg. like it was it's it's i, I don't know if it's ever going to be replicated to be honest but it's just one of those once in a lifetime things where it was just lighting in a bottle and you know everybody here was happy to to have him here for for just a couple it felt like 10 years it's only 3 or 4 years which is is still crazy to think about um but tempo to me you want to talk all time to me, he might be in the running for all time underrated player in the N- like in NHL history. Like nobody ever talks about him, but he was so good, like so, so steady. Basically, the 90s, 2000s version of, of Lars Eric Schober. I mean, he, he was just he was just so good. I don't think he gets enough love. So at, at least the Jets are are going out of the way to make sure, and and, and rightfully so, heading into the Jets Hall of Fame. So yeah, great ceremony. I don't know about wanting to hear Timu speak before the game. Um, judging by judging by the camera work, would have loved to have heard Timu after the game <laughs> give his thoughts. <laughs> Might have had an unfiltered Timu Salati there, but either way, uh, great to have both those guys back in in Winnipeg and the whole ceremony. And and they'll be back here sometime soon as well. So that that that's great to see. A, a good time had by all, and and really the only thing missing on the night was. Was the gunshot celebration from Kyle Connor himself on the hatch? I thought it. I thought it might happen. I thought it was unlikely, but I thought it might happen. I get why he didn't do it, but that would have been just like the ultimate cherry on top of the game. Um, but let's let's get to the actual game itself. Tice, kind of an odd one because through, I don't know, forty-five to fifty minutes, it was it was blah. There there wasn't really a whole lot going on on either side. The Jets weren't playing all that good. Anaheim stinks, so they just played how they how they are. Uh, but then the last 10 minutes or so, things got heated in a big way, back and forth, a ton of action, and the Jets find themselves coming out on top in a game where they need the two points, playing one of the also runs in the NHL. Any, anything
0: big stand out to you in this one, Tice, other than the frenetic finish of the game? Well, I think to start the game especially, I think John Gibson really slowed down the Jets momentum early on. I mean, we saw that they had some really, really good chances in the first couple minutes of that game and he he made some really nice saves, especially that one on Sam Ghani where he he actually reacted late on that pass and the fact that he, in my in my opinion, John Gibson is one of the most talented goalies in the NHL. Sometimes you can struggle with consistency, there's some injuries con- concerns there too. And I will say, I don't know if you caught this on the on the broadcast, but Adam Lowry was kind of getting into Gibson's kitchen all game, and even there was a couple where he would fly by in front of the net and give him a little a little toe jab right in the back of the leg. And Gibson doesn't seem to like that. You can tell he kind of he kind of kind of like unraveled him a bit, but he, you know he played a really good game. Hellebuck played a solid game as well. Like you said, it wasn't too much going on at points during that game. I mean, I think in the second period. Especially during that that uh, Connor shift, where they really controlled play in the in the duck zone for an extent a really extended period of time, like that there was almost two minutes of zone time, and even the, the Ducks broadcast team they thought that a power play had just ended while the Jets were on the ice for that shift. So, but yeah, I mean, just to see Connor come through and really break through that was much needed. You could kind of feel it coming, and man, it's just. And it's nice to get those two points, especially against a team like the Ducks, who, like you said, they're not the most talented. But you got guys like Trevor Zegers, Troy Terry out there. They can make you pay, and they almost did in this one.
1: Yeah, Kyle Connor is obviously going to be the story here, and and rightfully so. I mean, the big hat trick kind of officially maybe gets off the schneid. Here's the funny thing about this. What was different in his game against the Ducks compared to the last – Ten or so games where he struggled to score in. Uh, did you notice anything? Yes or no?
0: Uh, I more so just getting in tight and, and more in front of the net. But really, there's not too much. Yeah, nothing changed. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I was. Going. Nothing changed. He just the puck went in this time.
1: Like that's it. Sometimes how it that's how it is with goal scores. I, I didn't think offensively there was a whole lot wrong with Kyle Connor's game basically all season long. It's just the puck wasn't going in right? And it, it, it went in. <laughs> that was the main difference in this one. And and maybe now what you see moving forward is a little more instinctive play from Kyle Con- Like Sometimes when you do get into a slump, you're you maybe hold the puck on for a half second long. You try to go barring in instead of just throwing it somewhere near the net. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, maybe that just kind of frees him up and allows him to, you know, just focus and, and, and play his own game. But he was he was great, but I I just I thought that looked like Cal Connor, the guy that we've seen all season long. It's just a few of those pucks found their way through. Some some great feeds too, by the way. Um, you know, Sam Gagne on the second one, great backhand pass from below the dot, and then obviously the one timer that, that beats Gibson for the game winner. I mean, he, he's he, he was always in the right spots before this. He was in the right spots in this game here. I was really never concerned that he was eventually going to start busting through here and he finally did in the game and now he's you know a point of game player pretty crazy that your your big offensive slump to
0: start the year involves you being on pace for 82 points this year yeah no it's it's really I and you knew you knew that he's gonna break through at some point I mean he's Cal Connor and just the way that that line's been playing with him and Shifley and that's what another thing I want to talk about is man Mark Shifley has really really put the team on his back this season and I think he's playing just absolutely unreal hockey I I honestly think he's been a top ten player in the league so far this year, and just watching him live, you really see how it's a combination of how smart he is on the ice and also the the ability to use his body and strength. When really, I mean, he's only he's not the biggest guy on the ice out there, but the way he's able to use his body and kind of block off defenders behind the net, shield the, shield the puck away, and especially this is why I know you you and me like this move, but using your shin. To kind of block st- stick checkers coming in around you, you just kind of stick that shin out, block the stick. He makes so many really, really smart plays out there, and man, like I'm just and in his compete level too in the D zone has just been absolutely unreal. I'm I'm just so impressed with seeing Mark Scheifele's play and and Kyle Connor's too. On top of that,
1: yeah, yeah, I usually use my big ass. That that's my move to protect the puck, but you know, using the shin works too. He, yeah, he's he's been no doubt their their best skater so so far this year. And especially with Ehlers out, and, and we'll touch on you know him potentially being out longer and longer here, he's he's carried the load offensively. And you know, honestly, if if there's been a bit more finishing from Kyle Connor and you know, maybe a little more offensive production out of whoever's the third person on that line, Shafley's probably right in there in terms of you know, finding himself in the top 10 in league-wide scoring right now. The goals have been there for him. The assists kind of surprisingly haven't been there so far. So another great game by him. What did you make of
0: Gagne on the top line? I, I mean, it, it was fine. I mean, there was some times where he, the you could tell that he's been in the league a little bit, and there's some times where he, he's he's in the right spot, but sometimes he just doesn't have the legs to kind of push the pace a little bit quicker. But I have no, I really don't have any qualms with uh, with Gagne's play. I mean, he's a savvy vet. He's a he's a good guy to fill in on the top line of, in case of injuries, and I think he filled in. He did a good job. I think he just did a good job.
1: Yeah, I think I think he did about as good as he could have hoped for. Yeah, it's not it's not going to be perfect. He's not going to be Ehlers or you know name any kind of high end support player out there. But he made a play, and and that's what he can do better than anybody else left in the lineup here. Is he can make a pass, right? You get open, he'll put the puck on your stick, and so he's still got that in his game and a, a great feed. On Kyle Connor there for the second goal, and and really no other options for the Jets right now. Like they they don't have anybody else that's really capable of playing that role on the big club. Brad Lambert's down there, just saying. I don't know, but you know for for now, Sam Gagne is going to be the fill-in. We're going to touch on the injured forward group and the Eelers injury a little bit later on in the episode there. Um, but I I did notice this interesting wrinkle, Tice. I don't know if you picked it up while it happened. But with about a minute and a half to go, Sam gagne was sent to the bench. And it was actually Adam Lowry taking a shift with Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor. And they played a, I mean, Lowry played a pretty, pretty big role in that game winning goal by Kyle Connor. And then he was thrown right back out there with those two to close out the game. I I've I've always been a fan and a proponent of having two centermen out there late in the game. And making sure Adam Lowry is one of those guys. I I, I think you know he should be out there protecting a lead. But interesting in this scenario that Rick Bonus threw him out there to to go get the lead, right? A tie game, and he's not afraid to to toss the big man over the boards to try to get some offense going. And you know he's got eight points so far this season. Uh, but I think I thought it was a bit of a savvy move there by by Bones. The easy move might have been just hey throw Gagne over the boards. He's been fine so far this game, but like the little savvy switch up to have Lowry out there. And I do wonder if as this season goes along with Shifley's renewed defensive commitment, if you can kind of pinpoint those two as this is going to be our group down the stretch with the lead tied or defending the lead. And then you figure out essentially whoever's healthy, you throw out there and that's your shutdown
0: trio to close out games. Yeah, no, I I agree. And I think after that Zgris goal, uh, I think, Rick, B- I think Bones was kind of hesitant to kind of toss out guys who aren't necessarily known for their defensive prowess. No, no knock against Sam Gagne. But I think, I do think, and when it gets down to the nitty gritty of games, especially without Nick Ehlers in the lineup, I really don't mind seeing Adam Lowry plopped on that top line just to really get a nice stabilizing presence on the ice there, too, along with Shifley, who's been pretty good on the, in the D zone this year. I don't mind it at all. And I think Adam Lowry. Should get the opportunity to be out there at the end of games. I think he's more than earned it. I think he's shown that he can that he can stick with the top line. I mean, he played against the Zegers line the majority of the night, regardless. So I think, you know, at the, at the end of a game, when who's going to be getting the puck most of the time? Obviously, the top line of Zegers, uh, the Troy Terry line as well. Yeah, I, I think I I like what Rick Bones is doing with uh, with Lowry in the last couple of minutes. Now they had to make a
1: bit of a switch up there. Um, yeah, you know, I, I can't remember who the defense pair that was out there for the game-winning goal, but there was a major, major breakdown that led to that point, right? Because Cal Connors, second of the night, you would think, all right, the game is sealed, all done. Jay Richardson halfway through the goal announcement. Oh, and there's Trevor Zegers all alone on Connor Hellebuyck roof of the puck. What? What happened? <laughs> right? Like, you know, it's it. It, it seemed pretty innocuous. The ducks have it in their own end. It's a controlled breakout. The jets have a controlled neutral zone defense there, and all of a sudden, two passes five seconds later, and it's like, what the hell, guys? We this this was all set in stone here. I I, I pinpointed a a name to blame, if you will. Did you what did you, what did you see on that goal? Because it was a very uncharacteristic breakdown of what's been a pretty a pretty solid you know neutral zone defense system that Rick Bonus has thrown
0: out there this year. Well, I mean, Adam Hen- Adam Henrique right at the blue line. He, there was no one within ten feet of him for a couple seconds there, and I, you know, I, I noticed this a couple times throughout the game, and it, it happened after the goal too. I, I, not, I don't want to say I'm concerned. I just want to see almost less of an aggressive take from Josh Morrissey. I think there was a couple times he was getting a little too aggressive with his pinches, and I think that was part of the reason on that goal there. We saw just after that goal too, where he made another pinch again. I think there was about three minutes left. He made a pinch around the the center line and it got chipped over his head, and Zegris came in on a on a two on two with Adam Lowry playing defense and Zegers walked around him and had a pretty nice shot and that would and that could have been just absolutely devastating for the Jets Zegers pots that one home with three minutes left but yeah I just I feel like there's a time and place for aggressive pinching on the defense. And I think there's just a, it's a bit of a learning curve and just taking your spots a little bit better.
1: Yeah. I don't mind aggression. Like I would rather be over aggressive than, than be passive there. I, I thought Morrissey, you know, as the puck went up there, it kind of got deflected. And so it's, it's taking its time to get over that. I think he was caught in between like, do I go for the puck and the steal, like closer to the red line or do I hang back? And you're kind of caught in between two. And then these, uh, you know, Aggressive, but also a bit late and that that leads to the puck getting there and then the free pass coming over. But to me, the big issue there was, you know, as the play started to develop in Anaheim zone. You know, I I don't know if this was by design and, you know, Lowry and Menelainen got mixed up there, but but Saku Menelainen essentially was marking Trevor egress. And Zegers takes the route behind the net there and starts to build up speed to try to get a bit of a breakout going. And Menelainen is the guy that's supposed to stay with him. He did not take a very good angle or route. And once Zegers reached that, if you go back and watch it, once Zegers reaches the hash marks in Anaheim zone, he's got three or four steps on Menelainen and immediately it's, uh-oh, we're screwed. Like if, if this puck gets anywhere near him, we're screwed. And that's exactly what happened there. And that's where you know the 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 defense core there is kind of hung out to dry a little bit, and they look awful on the play, right? Like Pyong, you watch it and you go, Pyong's in no man's land. They're like, what are you doing? But if Beneline tracks back properly and is able to, you know, at, at least go somewhat skate for skate with Trevor zegris there he doesn't come in with basically a hundred feet of, of of runway to work with and a ton of speed. At a free lane in on Connor Hellebuck, you give him that opportunity, he's gonna finish it nine times out of ten. But to me, it's it's men of line in there. You know, maybe he was caught off guard that Lowry wasn't the guy marking him and and he was thrown into that situation. But that that to me was the big issue there. And you know, teams are gonna take a look at that when they when they talk about tape and how to attack the Jets through the neutral zone there. And you know, there's a handful of guys in the league that can skate like Trevor Zegers does. God forbid Edmonton picks up on that and they try to throw that out there with 90. I mean, that's curtains. It's over at that point. But I mean, just disappointing all around, really, you know, for a Jets team that's been so, so solid inside their own zone to basically give up a freebie to the Anaheim Ducks there. I mean, almost worst case scenario, right, where you You give up a late one like that, tie game, like you mentioned, Zegras almost finds a way to score and take the lead late in a game that you pretty much have to win against an awful team. Thankfully, they were able to overcome that. But that was one of the few miscues we've seen from this team uh, in terms of wonky defensive play so far this season. Um, One thing I do want to get to here, just because, you know, we're running a bit late, one last thing from the game. And this all kind of ties in together there. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I mean, one of the things that stood out to me in this game the Anaheim Ducks are awful. They stink. Yeah. They're really, really rough. Like they're they, that's a that's a tough team to watch. I, I think the Dallas Eakins coaching experiment you can officially put a stake in that one. I mean that that just looks like a disorganized. What do we do next? Sort of a team, or where they're just they they don't have any answers. I mean, like what 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 kind of a system? What kind of a like <laughs> what kind of a group do you want to be they it looks like a team with no answers but the one thing Anaheim fans can look forward to at least each and every night and you know hopefully for them for the next decade or so is that that Zegras line is as good as any in the NHL like they they can play like just just Zgris, Zgris and Terry alone is is worth the price of admission it's going to be it's going to be some rough times out there in Anaheim and, and And hey, it was a rough night for Zegres. You know, he his flub inside the the defensive zone led to Winnipeg's eventual game winner there. But man, like as as fans of the Flyers who also stink, there's not a lot of reason to watch them. i would I would much rather be in the Anaheim fan boat where it's like, hey, we suck, but at least we got a superstar or
0: two. In the back here, we just need a few more pieces, and we're going to figure this thing out. Yeah, that's what I wanted to touch on too. Is just watching him live; he is so much fun. It's crazy the creativity. And if you're able to make it out to the Jets Ducks games in a couple weeks, in a couple weeks here, I would highly recommend going to the, going to the game, getting there early for warmups. I don't think I've ever seen someone do some of the things that Zegers does with the puck on his stick. It's absolutely his hands are just the most. There's just the most buttery hands I've ever seen. It's there was one he during warmups he came in the puck just bouncing puck rolled up to him goes stick in between the legs flips it up all the way just does a little spin with the with the knob catches it flips it up kicks it up to his stick gets it right on right on flat on his blade flips it down throws a no look backhand sauce to Terry right on his tape that it's it's warmups obviously so it's you know take it with a grain of salt but. You just want
1: sometimes t- in practice and war ups, that's when you see the insanity of these guys. Yeah. Like it, it can be hard sometimes because the games are so fast that they don't like generally you don't have time to do like any of the stuff you mentioned. But when it's practice and a warm up and you see you're like, Oh, that's why I couldn't get anywhere close to the NHRA. <laughs> right? Like you're like, Oh yeah. Like he he's got Pavel Barber handles.
0: Oh, and he can skate as good as anybody on the planet crazy I think if he really works on his defensive game because I do like his stick work I think he might be the closest thing that if he if he commits himself to the defensive game and this might be a hot take but I think he might be the don't, closest- don't say it t- I know what you're gonna say don't do it <laughs> I I honestly think that he might be the closest thing to Pavel Datsuk that oh my gosh that we've seen in the NHL since he's retired and I just I, I, I truly believe that and just going back to that Lowry, when he walked Lowry to almost take the lead late in the third period, you just see him, and he's so calculated with his moves. And he he's coming in from right to left, and he's sk- crosses over and waits for Lowry to make that extra crossover on his back foot. And right as he crosses over, he's immediately pulling that back, immediate toe drag to the other side right around Lowry, and Lowry's just sent off. And, I mean, it's a tough assignment for Lowry as a center playing D, but, man, it's just crazy the amount of skill that he has. Yeah, are you that mad about the the? I don't even want to talk to you right now. (laughs) Well, there's there's some caveats, obviously.
1: I I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm gonna Tyson. You're on a two minute timeout. In the meantime, let's give a shout out to our friends over at DraftKings because I'm so mad I can't even talk hockey for a little bit here. Good news for you guys though is the NFL Sundays are getting better and better. So the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook keep coming your way including if you bet 5 bucks on any NFL team to win you get 200 in free bets if they do plus everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app place a parlay win a bunch of with a bunch with a bunch of money Maybe you could, now that Buffalo has escaped the six-foot blizzard coming their way, maybe throw a little bit of extra money on Josh Allen having a revenge game against the Lions this upcoming Sunday. Uh, Maybe there's a few other sample, little multiple bets you can pick, like which team will win, props, point totals, all that to help make your Sunday a little more fruitful ahead of the Great Cup, which we'll get to in just a sec. But download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN and place a $5 pre-game Moneyline bet to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for more details. I think I might have to put you in a timeout for the rest of the show. That there, there will never be another Datsu.
0: Well, I'm just, I'm just saying. If there's gonna be a player that matches the amount of creativity and skill set, I think it's Trevor egress, But you know, you can be salty. That's okay. I'm not salty. I'm just right. <laughs> like what?
1: <laughs> Don't boo me. I'm right. <laughs> I'll still maintain that. You know, when when it was those Penguins Red Wings battles, like in it around the late 2000s, that. It, it, people didn't want to hear it at the time, but Pavel Datsyuk was the best player on the planet. I'm sorry, I don't know, just maybe that's the fly. you want to talk about. Hot take. Pavel Datsyuk was just on an, another planet. He was just like alien galaxy, like out of out of the Milky Way. He was so good. I think Zegers was- is great, but just stop, st- stop. He's just <laughs> not. He's not even cl- Zegers inside his own. Zo- Datsuk would do the – remember when Logan Couture broke oh, – he actually yeah. broke someone's ankles, which oh, is impossible yeah. in hockey. Zygris would be stretchered off the ice if he had to handle a shift against Pavel Datsuk, so.
0: He might. I will say – I think I catch myself at least once a week watching Pavel Datsuk highlights, and my favorite is the Couture one, like you mentioned, but a close second is definitely – I I can't remember if it was with the Oilers or the Sharks. But he made a move, and Mike Greer was the F two coming in on him, and he Datsue did a little shimmy, and he went around him, and Mike Greer lit his teammate up. Yeah, that was and Saturday, he just, <laughs> and he just absolutely lit him up, and both and the one guy was like out cold, and that's who's just dangling up the ice like he's just a he is a one of a kind player, right? Should have maybe tempered my expectations. Yeah,
1: there. no, no, don't try and walk it back now. The dam, the damage has been done. It's It'll be too. it will be better than the Pavel. Oh yeah, I think I might have permanent knee damage trying to do the dad suit like shootout, oh. like fake and pullback. Like I, I, my knee is so swollen today. I, I, I think that's probably where my trouble started. It was like oh, I could be dad and ten years later, I can barely get up my steps. Um, speaking of injuries. The Winnipeg Jets have a a ton of them up front right now and a team that was already thin to begin with going into the year. It just keeps getting worse and worse. First, it was Morgan Barron. Then the news earlier this week, Mason Appleton, wrist surgery. He's out at least a month. And, man, the the Nikolai Ehlers thing. I'm just, I am so sick of hearing and seeing the same thing in this city. I, I joked about this, I guess, over a month ago. It's not so funny now, but this whole day to day, all of a sudden turns into six to eight to 10 weeks crap that I I just don't get how this happens all the time with this team. But Rick bonus coming out basic. I mean, it's pretty much the the last thing you say before the team comes out with Nikolai Ehlers has undergone surgery and will be out X amount of weeks. Right. Like you just don't say something like that if he's going to come out and, you know, resume skating with the team sometime on the weekend sounds like things are are, are are you know trending in a major major negative direction here I mean obviously I don't have to ask you what this means for the team it sucks it's a borderline backbreaker having Ehlers out even longer than he's been out already but like what what do we do what do we do here do we just do the Jets wait for in-house replacements do you hope Lambert or Lucius or someone down with the moose can can step in and fill the void, or is is, it, is enough enough? he has got to make a move. Like what's what's on tap here? Three three of your top nine
0: forwards are now expected to be out for the next month at least. Right, and, and I think right now is where the Jets front office has to be really honest with themselves, and they need to really look at they need to look at the team and the injuries that they have, and and look at determine the severity of Eler's injury and really pinpoint it down. I think you're at the point in the season where he's already missed what has it been four weeks at this point, three to four weeks. I think you have to be really honest with yourself and be like, "Hey, are you going to be good to play for the rest of the year, or do we need to go and grab someone?" Because I think the way the season started, I think it would be a really foolish idea to go, you know, an, another month or so, and you still haven't added anyone, and Eilers still isn't quite ready to play. I believe he skated today, right? Did he? Did he resume skating with the team, but not taking part? Not, not today.
1: You resumed skating earlier this week, then was pulled off, and Rick Bonus. You know, I'll, I'll paraphrase here, but essentially said they're exploring all their options and essentially surgery is definitely
0: on the table right now. Right. And I believe the game that I believe the game that he got hurt in, uh, I could be I could be I could be wrong on this, but I believe he took a shot off the front of the foot. And so that kind of leads you to think, you know, does he have a broken foot? Is there a certain is there a leg? Is there ligament damage? Is there any? Nobody knows, Tyson, because nobody says anything. Yeah. And it's great. It just bothers me so much that teams do this all
1: the time. Meanwhile, in football, the most violent sport on the planet, you get, you know, muscle by muscle breakdown yeah. of what each player is dealing. Like, feelers, if he's got a broken foot, he's got a broken foot. Yeah. Right? Like, what the guys are going to start shooting the puck at him during the game. It just it's, it's so, so stupid when. The NHL is so guarded on stuff like this, and the fan base is pissed off too because nobody knows what the hell's going on. Like, like just to have a little bit more transparency here in the situation, and I, I, I don't think it hurts anybody whatsoever right now. But instead, we're all, we're all just sitting here guessing as to what the next step is here for the Jets. To me, it's it's pretty simple. I mean, if Ealers, if it's surgery, if it's some kind of lengthy time away from the team, whatever it might be. We we all felt like the Jets should make a move before the season got started when everyone was healthy. Now you got three guys out. It's it's mandatory here. Like I, I don't think if if the goal is to make the playoffs this year, you got to go out there and get somebody. And it's not going to happen on the waiver wire either. You got to go out there and make a trade if you're Kevin Shovel day off, and you've been sitting on this treasure trove of defenseman for six months essentially now. I know you wanted to be patient and maybe try to catch a team that was desperate right now. You're desperate and you might not get the exact deal that you're looking for. You might not hit a home run out of the park, but a double at this point, isn't too bad either. I I think enough's enough here. I'm not saying trade your first round pick for a a third line forward, but you've got eight, nine NHL caliber defensemen, maybe even 10 NHL, right? Like you've got so many of these guys here, go out there and get somebody because you don't want to sink this team. While the vibes are positive, while everybody's flying high, momentum, all that stuff, let's keep it going out there and bring some reinforcements in. Because look, even when everybody's healthy, they need it. Like they still need another guy to come in here. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see if there's going to be a move to be made sometime sooner than later here. But yeah, I I think we're definitely in the let's let's get somebody in here. Let's find a fit that works for us. And I don't think it's going to cost the team a whole lot either. But you know,
0: waiting and waiting this one out—it's—it's it's going to end up biting this team in the ass. I think sooner than later. Yeah, and that, the last thing you want to be doing is making a reactionary move because your team's going on a slide. And if you start sliding, there's going to be—you—you you don't think other GMs across the league are going to be like, "Oh, Winnipeg's starting to slide a bit. Maybe, you know, they could be getting a little bit desperate here. Maybe we can get an extra pick, get an extra prospect, and then." That's where you end up losing trades, and as a Jets team that's doing good, but if you look at the prospect pool two at the same time, you know you, you can't really afford to be giving up extra prospects at this point. And I think, especially as a team that's model is draft and develop, you don't want to be losing those kind of tr- kind of trades where, like, let's say the Rangers trade with with, um sorry, I'm just, uh, with Andrew and, Kopp yeah, Andrew Cobb, and getting Morgan Barron who. The Rangers kind of just put him in as a throwaway, and all of a sudden he's an NHL player. You you just can't be making those kinds of moves. So I think it's better to make a move now, get it out of the way. You're adding to your team. You're enhancing your team's chance of making the playoffs. And then you're putting yourself in a better situation in a couple weeks in case something were to happen that's unfortunate. Morgan Barron and Brad Lambert, by
1: the way. Yeah. That's for for Andrew. Just just throwing it out there. Um, Speaking of prospects, the final Jets note of this episode. Is it a coincidence? Billy Heinola gets the call-up, called up by the Big Club. Now, obviously, Dylan DeMello, I believe illness, um, couldn't take part in the game against the Ducks there. But Billy Heinola gets the first call-up for him this year, his first chance to get back into the game. But not so fast because Kyle Bianco has to get into the action or at least gets the tap on the shoulder by Rick Bonus and the coaching staff there. What do you make, Tice? Heinola gets called up, doesn't get a chance to come in panic worry trade time? Uh, what's going on
0: i i just really hope it was because they didn't want to throw him into a game just right away because at this point i see zero reason why Capo bianco should be playing over haynola i i just like and i don't and i'm i really don't want to like be mean but no no no, no here i'll 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 do it <laughs> i'll
1: do it for you cuz you work for for cjob He's not an NHL defenseman. Like, it's just the facts. He was quite possibly the worst D man in hockey last year, on the worst team in hockey last year. And they opted not to bring him back because he couldn't crack their roster. And that's just like the facts of the matter. He's just not good enough. That's it. And Billy really Hanlon's a better player than him. And it basically, every facet of the game. So. There, I don't know. There's not really much more to say there. I'm with you. I, I'm. I. There's no reason why Capa Bianco should be in over Hanala. I'm sorry. There's just – I. You, you cannot tell me. You cannot convince me that what happened last night was a good thing. And this is what's happened with this team for a number of years now. It was, you know, Pullman and Beaulieu for a few years, like going back a few years. You know, there, there's been a, a stable of defensemen that have no future with this team that don't impact – don't drastically alter your chances of winning the game that get into the lineup over a prospect that you know has a future with this team. You know, you would, you would think has a high ceiling, different things like that. I, if, if we see Hainala sit in the press box again, this next game coming up here, it, it's just malpractice at that point. And I think a trade demands coming sooner than later. And the final thing I'll say on that is if you legitimately think Kyle Capabianco gives your team a better chance to win than Billy Heinola then just trade him. Just move him. like that, just, just just, trade him while he has some value before he rots away in the AHL of the press box any longer here. You've got these issues up front. If, if this is legitimately how you feel as a management and coaching staff, do the kid, do the team, do everybody a favor, and just trade him because this isn't going to help anybody.
0: Yeah, and uh, that's, that's what really makes me wonder too with all this is that what do they think Billy's gonna be? Because if they don't think that he's gonna be a part of this team moving forward, then I like you said, I don't understand why you don't move him, but I also I, I just really blows my mind overall, like just thinking about all the, the decisions that's been made with his career so far. And it's not like he was a late round pick that fans are trying that are saying that kind What's of Sammy Niku. Yeah, like that that jumped on the bandwagon. He's your first round pick that you traded you traded Jacob Truba for that pick. And I just as a team that drafts and develops, you've done the drafting, you've done the developing, reap the rewards. I just don't I don't understand. Yeah. I you know, I I get why they didn't do it in this game just because
1: the forward group is injured and thin. Right. I I wouldn't mind going 7D either and having Hanle in there as the seventh defenseman who can run, you know, one of your power play units at least because there's I mean, look, they they finally scored on the power play but it's been pretty rocky for the Jets with the man Advantage this year the kid gives you a boost immediately like he's he can run at least a dozen power plays in the NHL right now on the number one like he is he is a legitimate big time tool with the man advantage there are issues he needs to iron out there's no doubt about that but that would be one thing that wouldn't mind seeing the Jets maybe get a little bit creative and unique and trying to get him at least some ice time, just to see what you got because we still don't know what he can do at the NHL level. But play him at four, play him at forward. Oh god, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's that's the last thing we did. I think you know what would happen too. He'd come out there and like have a golden assist, so that we'd have to do that whole thing. Like, I didn't even want to, do it. I even want to get into that discourse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. Well, we'll see if he gets a chance Saturday night. Not not necessarily a tough opponent anymore, thank God, in the Pittsburgh Penguins. But we'll 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 see what the Jets have in store for that one. Um, quickly here, let's wrap up this episode. Here we kind of I don't want to end on a bit of a bummer there, so let's talk some positive And the biggest story in Winnipeg right now. Do you have a prediction, Tyson?
0: I got a I gotta- Winnipeg
1: Blue Bombers. Can And again, I just, I like saying this out loud because it seems fake. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going for a three beat in Sasky on a Sunday night against the Toronto Argonauts. What do we feel?
0: How are we feeling about this one? I mean, not feeling as great as Zach Claras would have practiced these past couple days. But I think that's just being extra cautious, making sure he's good to go on Sunday. And to be honest, I see this game going, going only one way for me. I think it's going to be a close game in the first half. I think, I think Toronto Toronto's going to really establish their run game with Harris and Ouellette. But then the old Bethel Thompson comes strutting out <laughs> onto the field. And I think he's just going to throw one pick. The Bombers are going to score on that. They are going to come back out. And I think he's going to throw another pick right after that. You just, it, whenever he th- whenever he throws a ball, it's just so you just tense up. You're just like, oh, it looks pickable. Yeah, like, he, just, he <laughs> throws a very pickable ball. That's a great way of putting it, and I agree. I just, I, I don't, I, I hope that the Bombers' three peat chances don't fall to the hands of Bethel Thompson. I hope they
1: do, because then they'll they'll
0: they'll probably three peat then
1: if it, <laughs> if it falls into his hands. <laughs> I, I would say, it, this is weird. I'm nervous at how unnervous I am about this game because the last two against Hamilton, like the, the first great cup, I think we were all basically crapping our pants, right? Like, it's just like, we're, we're at the big game. Hamilton's so good. Like, please God, just give us a miracle. Just let, let something finally go our way. I think that was everyone's collective mindset. Because that that Tycats team was an absolute juggernaut, and the, the the fact the Bombers kicked the crap out of them like they did was just the best thing ever. Then even in the second one, though, it's like oh, it's in Hamilton. They've got the revenge factor. They're the end. Like there was a lot, so it was like I'm hopeful, but still like pretty worried about how this one's going to go out. I don't feel that way about this one, and that scares me. Yeah, in that I don't know. Tur- Toronto's just nowhere near the team that Hamilton was, but. We've seen in the past the Bombers in the big game, you know, hello 2001 against Calgary, right, where they go up against a team that's, you know, big, 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 big time underdog and they find a way to kind of crap the bed against them. Although this is a completely different team coaching staff like Michael Shea is not going to let any of that stuff happen. My my big concern with this one is honestly, I, I think if it's a tight one at halftime, I think it's – Big, big advantage for Toronto. I think the Bombers need to get, like, I don't want to say a huge lead right off the bat, but to me, like, you got to get up 7, 10, 14 points going into the second half, because I don't know, I don't know how much Colaros has in him. Like, that that's, to me, a high ankle sprain or a fractured ankle or something that happened in the West Final there. I think he can give you, for sure, a great first half of football. I don't know what's going to happen once all the adrenaline, once all those shots start to wear off there. You get an extended halftime as well. Uh, my biggest concern is going to be how the Bombers' offense looks coming out of the second half. Hopefully, you know, they don't have to worry about putting up 20 points in the second half and they can hand it to Oliveira and he can do his Andrew Harris impression. But I'm, I'm still, I don't really have a leaning one way or the other i i don't i don't have a great read on this game i i just i don't i don't know how it's going to play out i just don't like how unimposing the argonauts are compared to the tie for the past two years
0: yeah and the the, the Bombers and argos only played one game against each other this year and it was a really tight game if it wasn't for a, a boris Beatty missed extra point we'd they'd be you're heading into overtime in that one and hey anything can happen in cfl overtime and I agree with you on the on the strong first half because you really don't want to let that Toronto running game get going in the second half and kind of impose their will on the on the offense. So I I'm in agreement with you. But hey, but
1: you want to make predictions now?
0: Yeah, let's do let's do it. Exact score? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like like
1: as as if you had those like Grey Cup scorecard things. The All right. Off. I'm going to go
0: Winnipeg 25 to Toronto twenty,
1: I want. I kind of want to pick the Argos, like as a reverse jinx. But then if I do that, that's an actual jinx. <laughs> the old jinx, double, double jinx. jinx. I'm gonna. I don't want to sound stupid, but Winnipeg thirty one, Toronto thirteen.
0: Oh. What do you if think? I'm just being honest, I don't think it's going to be close. So what? You're slamming the the over the under on that? You think the what's the over under? Um, let me just pull that up quickly. I think it was. I think it's like 44.
1: Ooh, that's right on the line. Then. That's yeah. right on the line. 31. Add ah, whatever. I'll I'll go. Yeah, 31. I I like I like 31 13. I can oh, I can. Yeah. 48's the over under. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'll oh under for sure. It sucks. I hate picking the under, but I gotta go under for sure in this one. But I, I do think that um the proverbial torch will be passed from Andrew Harris to Brady Oliveira. And uh we'll see a blue bomber running back win top Canadian yet again in the Great Cup. It's just gonna be a different name this time around. So feeling good. Three P. Just still crazy to say when it comes to the blue bombers, but We'll have some fun watching that one on Sunday. We'll definitely have to talk about it when we get back at it next week on Tuesday morning, but that's where we'll finish off the episode here. Cause it's late as hell. We're getting close to midnight it's time to head into the weekend in style. So we'll wrap it up there. Thank you guys so much for stopping by for another episode of skates and plates right here on the hockey podcast network. We'll be back at it next week, Tuesday morning, looking back, At a few Jets games. They take on the Pittsburgh Penguins Saturday night. And then the ultimate litmus test, in my opinion, the Carolina Hurricanes come to town Monday evening. Hopefully it's uh, not a repeat of what happened last season when the Hurricanes came to town and, uh, Delivered the ultimate embarrassment to the Winnipeg Jets in that one. One of the worst games the team has ever played. Hopefully it goes a little bit better this time around, but we'll break down both of those games as well as the Grey Cup and get ready for the World Cup Canada at Qatar. Oh, it's going to be a great week of sports here. Until then, though, stay safe. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the Grey Cup. Don't do anything too stupid. Have a great time. And we'll talk to you guys once the weekend comes to a close on Tuesday morning. Until then, CJOB's Tyson Rowicki I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Peace.